Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, and you see that in verse number one, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the son of David that was king in Jerusalem was, of course, Solomon. And so King Solomon writes this book. And there's a lot of people who have written books throughout history. There are a lot of people who write books today. Some are great authors. Some just have a passion to put something down on paper. And while we know that the Bible, of course, is inspired, these are the very words of God. God did choose Solomon to pen these words And we have to remember that Solomon is no ordinary individual. Solomon is not just a regular guy. And not just because he was king, because lots of fairly ordinary people become kings. They just happen to be born to the previous king. They were the prince and inherited the throne. And Solomon was in that situation, but Solomon in particular was no regular Joe. He was no average individual because Solomon had the kind of life where if you named it, Solomon had it. Solomon had everything. Everything you could possibly want in life, Solomon had it. He had it all. He had money, an abundance of money. When you consider the wealth that Solomon had, the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 10 describes that the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. 666 talents of gold. Now, we don't know exactly how much a talent is, but just in reading, people estimate that a single talent was about 75 pounds. So 666 talents of gold was about 50,000 pounds. So the Bible records that in one year, people brought into the kingdom of Israel 50,000 pounds of gold. If you took the price of gold today, and we have more gold today. Back then, gold was an abundantly precious resource, one that was incredibly valuable. Today, it is still valuable, but if you were to take the price of gold today and put that on the 50,000 pounds of gold that came in in that one year, it comes out to one and a half billion dollars. A billion and a half dollars came into the kingdom, and that was just the gold. Not counting the silver, the precious stones, other gifts that were given, other things that would have been brought in as tribute, all of these different things. I mean, just to, you know, kind of encapsulate the kind of wealth that Solomon had, in verse number 18, it says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory. His throne was made of ivory, and it was overlaid with the best gold. I mean, that's the kind of kingdom that Solomon had. His throne was not made of wood. It was not made of stone. It was made of ivory that was overlaid with the highest quality of gold that they had. In verse number 21, it says, And all King Solomon's drinking vessels 
were of gold. No glass, no porcelain, no pottery, not even silver. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. They did not stoop one level down from gold to silver. Everything was gold. And the Bible says it was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. Nobody thought, hey, Solomon, you know, I mean, I know you really like gold, but do you really have to make all of them gold? Like, really? Isn't that a little bit too much? Everybody thought, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Go for it. Yeah, we got plenty of gold. <laughs> Look at this gold that's coming in. We got plenty. I mean, that's the kind of wealth that Solomon had. He had power. He was the king of the nation, of course. And we speak today of individuals who have power. You might think of people who have political power, people who are in office, able to make decisions, sign things into law, you know, kind of put things out there. You might think about people who have business power in terms of they might be the CEO of a large corporation and are able to kind of leverage that into whatever it is that they desire to do. You have different international organizations. You have the Olympic Committee. You have the UN. You have, you know, the World Economic Forum. You have all of these different sorts of things. But you have to remember at this time, Solomon is the king of the most important nation in the world at that time. And you know the kind of power that kings have? Kings have unlimited power to do anything. If they say, I don't like you, get out of the kingdom, you're gone. They say, I don't like you, you're fired, you're fired. If the king says, you did me wrong, I want you to be killed, he is killed. I mean, that kind of power laid in his hands. Now, of course, he did not use that in that kind of way, but that's the kind of power that he had. I mean, when we're talking about Solomon having more than anybody, it's true. He had glory and honor and fame and respect from everyone. Second Chronicles writes, wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee. God is speaking to Solomon, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. I mean, he had a reputation, an honor, and a respect unlike any king before him and unlike any king after him. I mean, everybody adored him. They respected him. They uplifted him. They honored him. 1 Kings writes it this way, all the earth sought to Solomon. Everybody wanted to see Solomon. Everybody wanted to hear the words of Solomon, to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. He had respect, he had honor, and he had glory, unlike anybody else. Solomon had pleasures, unlike anybody else. I mean, we know about how this was not a godly thing, but the Bible says that in 1 Kings chapter 11, he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. Unfortunately, the Bible concludes, and his wives turned away his heart. I mean, on the one hand, the Bible mentions this to say that these women turned his heart away from God. But on the other hand, it also shows the kind of unlimited pleasure that Solomon had at his disposal. 
He could have anybody whenever he wanted. He had success unlike anybody else. In 1 Kings chapter 10, the Bible records a queen that wanted to go see Solomon, the queen of Sheba. And she had heard about the fame of Solomon, heard about the greatness of Solomon, heard about the wisdom of Solomon, heard about the wonderful things in his kingdom. And so she said, you know what, I hear all of these great things, but, you know, it kind of seems like, you know, somebody's exaggerating here. And so she wants to go see for herself. And so she goes all the way up to see Solomon. She sits down with Solomon and she tries to prove him with very hard questions. She comes up with the most difficult riddles and dilemmas that she could come up with and she throws them all at Solomon. And Solomon answers all of them. And the Bible says that when she saw the king, the kingdom, the wisdom, all of the things that were there, the Bible says that there was no more spirit in her. Verse number six says, and she said to the king, it is a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words. She said, that's too good to be true. It was a true report that I heard. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Solomon really did have it all. I mean, whatever it is that you think that is, that's the thing that would make your, that would be great. Fame, honor, respect, money, position, power, pleasures, prosperity. I mean, you name it, Solomon had it. And he was miserable. The point of Solomon's book is take it from the man who had it all, that having it all is not enough. Solomon was the king who had it all. He had all the money that you could possibly want, all of the fame that you could possibly want, all the respect above anybody else, all the honor and the glory, more money, more pleasures, more power, more than anybody else. And he was miserable. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That's the conclusion that he came to. He concluded that having it all is not enough. And he made this discovery thousands of years ago. See, you don't have to spend your whole life chasing after some of these things that Solomon already had. Maybe you're chasing a, a great wealth. If I could just make a certain amount of money and have a great home and big house and a huge yard and have the nicest cars and nice watches and nice clothes and be able to go to fancy restaurants, I, I, I'd be so happy. Maybe if you thought, you know what, if I could just build myself and do something great and people would respect me, people would look up to me and people would talk about me with, you know, wow, look at him, look at her, look at what she did with her life and look what he accomplished. Look at the kind of college that he went to. Look at the kind of business that he started. Look at the kind of position that he has. If I could just get that, then, then I would be so happy. If I, if I could just have all of the pleasures that I wanted in life, then, then I would be so happy. Solomon had more pleasures than anybody else. He had more money, 
more possessions, more honor, more respect, and still he concluded that having it all wasn't enough. It's been said that a foolish man does not learn from his mistakes. A smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from others' mistakes. That's the lesson of the book here. The lesson of the book is you have one life. You don't get to go back and do it over again. You don't get to say, you know what, I made this wrong choice back there and it sent me down the wrong road. I want to go do something else. You have one life. And Solomon is encouraging, exhorting you. Don't chase after those things that I chased after. Because I had it all. And having it all was not enough. This morning, I want to see how without God, we will be empty. In verse number three, he uses a phrase, under the sun. What profit hath a man of all of his labors which he, ha- uh, which he taketh under the sun? This term, this phrase, under the sun, is used dozens of times in the book. There's another phrase also used in the book, under heaven. And it defines the outlook of an individual who is only looking at things from a human perspective. They are leaving out the heavenly and only looking at the earthly. He's only looking at the human perspective, the human situation, and trying to make sense of life. The book of Ecclesiastes comes from the man who had it all, who was focused only on the things of earth, without view of the eternal, without view of the heavenly, and without view of the godly. Without God, Solomon was empty. Though he had more than any of us will ever have in our entire lives, Solomon was empty. And all that we can get will still be empty without God. In 2004, Tom Brady, who's a, you know, many consider him to be the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest football player of all time. In 2004, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, the football championship, for the third time in four years. I mean, people at that time were already talking about how he might become the greatest football player of all time. He was pretty young. He was in his mid-20s at the time. After he won this third Super Bowl, he gave an interview, and he went on 60 Minutes, and he gave an interview. And he said this, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think there's gotta be more than this. This can't be what it's all that it's cracked up to be. I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? The interviewer asked, so what's the answer? Tom Brady responded, 
I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom Brady since then has famously said that of all of his Super Bowl rings, his favorite Super Bowl ring is the next one. Now, it speaks to his drive and his ambition, but it also speaks to his lack of satisfaction. Because three Super Bowl rings was not enough. Neither was four, neither was five, neither was six. He has seven right now. He won Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl, more than anybody else. But winning another one is still never going to be enough. Because even the whole world without God is empty. One author put it this way, apart from God, the world is poor indeed. Disappointment brings weariness. Success gives no permanent satisfaction. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, that's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is you can have it all here on earth, but what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? The Bible makes it very clear. You can have your successes here on earth. You might have a lot of money. You might have a great position. You might have a great job. You might have the respect of all of your family members. You might have the respect and honor of all of your peers. You might have the, uh, uh, the reputation and the name that everybody thinks is, wow, if I could just, that man is a special man. That woman, she's a special kind of person. You might have those things. You might have a life full of pleasures, being able to travel the world and go eat the foods and be able to see the sights and be able to experience all of the things in life. But beggars we are, is what one man said, with all the riches of the world without him. He is a substitute for everything and nothing can be a substitute for him. The lesson of the book of Ecclesiastes is how not to have an empty life. See, we live in a culture where we have so much. We live in a place where we have more, and yet so many people find themselves feeling empty. That there's got to be more. If I could just get that next promotion, if I could just get that next raise, if I could just buy that bigger house, get that nicer car, be able to do that next vacation, be able to buy the next iPhone or whatever it is that's out there in life. And then they get those things and find themselves still just as empty as before. And I want to see three core parts of everyone's life that will be empty without God. Number one, we see life without God is empty. Verse number two, that was the conclusion of Solomon. Vanity of vanities, empty, that's what the word vanity means. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Despite having it all, he felt empty. How could that possibly be? How could it possibly be that the one who had more, had more of the fullness of this earth, be so empty? I think all of us have seen people who are successful in life, maybe an athlete who has achieved 
the height of their sport. Won a gold medal, won a championship, won some awards. Maybe it's a businessman who started with nothing and built this huge corporation, made it to the top, became CEO. Maybe a politician who becomes the governor or even president of the United States. And how many of us have seen those individuals who have, seemingly at least, have it all and yet seem so dissatisfied? Later, we find out that they were so dissatisfied in their marriage, with their family, with their lives, with their accomplishments. It doesn't seem to make any sense. The word for vanity means empty, it means it's futile, and it's pointless. It comes with the idea of being a vapor, that it comes and then it disappears, that it cannot satisfy. And this man who spent his whole life chasing after all of these things concluded, my life is empty. Life without God is like a bubble that is blown and you might have the biggest bubble, but when you die, that bubble gets popped and it disappears into nothingness. And that's what Solomon realized. He had the biggest bubble in the world and still he knew this bubble's going to pop and it's going to disappear into nothingness. Solomon was in a phase in his life in which he was trying to make sense of life without God. He was chasing after success without God, building a great kingdom, gaining wealth without God. He was enjoying pleasures without God. He received praise without God. He had glory without God. He had money without God. And he couldn't make sense of it. Because life without God has no sense. Life without God is nonsense. There is no sense of life without God. Without God, why are we here? Without God, why do you exist? Without a God who has created this world in six days with his words, without God who made man in his own image, without God who gave us this life and gave us this purpose, without God... Why are we here? If there is no God, then we just came from another animal. Without God, we're just another piece on the step of evolution, and we'll be evolutioned away. Without God, where are we going? If life is just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, what's the point? Why are we working so hard when we're just going to die and give it away? Why are we working so hard to build up this life when the moment we die, that life goes away? Why are we working so hard to gain the respect of people around us when that respect disappears when we die? And when those people die, our names will not be remembered. Your life will not be remembered. We will not be remembered. 
Can anybody think about the things that our great, 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 great grandfathers did? You probably don't even know their names. We don't know what they did. We don't know how they lived. We don't know all of these things. And a few more generations will pass and all of that will be gone to history. We won't remember any of those things. Nobody will remember any of those things. And yet people work so hard to gain the respect of their friends and their peers and their classmates. and They want to build up this life and have all of this money only to die at the end of their life and give all of that away. And Solomon realized that in his life. He realized that without God, life has no sense. Life without God is empty. G. Campbell Morgan said this man, Solomon, had been living through all these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun, until there came a moment in which he had seen the whole of life, and there was something over the sun. It is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun, as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. Without view of God and the heavenly, we cannot make sense of this life. This life does not have sense. It will not make sense. It cannot make sense unless we have God. So what's the lesson here? Well, if life without God is empty, life with God is full. No matter how much or how little money you have, life can be full. No matter how much success, quote-unquote, that you might have, or how little success compared to others, life with God is full. Doesn't matter how popular you are, doesn't matter how much respect you receive, it is only God that gives fullness to life. Psalm 1611 says, Thou will show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The lesson here is that all of us need God. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. You need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is how you are born again. That is how you restore the relationship with God. And that is the very beginning point of receiving fullness of life. Without God, life is empty, and it will always be empty. It will end in nonsense. That is why we must have God. It doesn't matter how many church services you attend, how much money that you might give, how often that you might serve, you need God. And you can only have God through the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of our sin is death. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can have fullness of life, but you must be saved. You must acknowledge you are a sinner. You must acknowledge your sin. You must acknowledge that only Jesus Christ can save you from that sin.
And if you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. And begin this life that is full, that Jesus has to offer, this abundant life. Because life without God is empty. Luxury without God is also empty. In verse number three, he says, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? The word for profit there is the word meaning leftover. We might call that the extra. For all of us living in this part of the world, in this part of the country in particular, we know what it's like to have nothing left at the end of the month, right? You work all month long, and you bring in your income every month, and then you got to pay your rent, then you got to pay your insurance, and then you got to pay your utilities, then you got to pay for your food, then you got to pay for your gas, then you got to pay for all the maintenance of the things, you know, you might have to replace a roof, you might have to, you know, get some work done on your car, replace the tires, you might have to buy some new clothes, you might have to buy some new things, you have to pay for all of these things, and, and at the end of the month, you started the way that you began the very end of the beginning of the month, the same dollar amount, everything that comes in goes out. And wouldn't it be nice if all of us had extra profit at the end of the month, your savings goes up every month. You have a little bit more every month. Your bank account gets bigger every month. It's more and more and more. Wouldn't that be nice? I think a lot of people would think, you know what, if I could just get to that point, I'd just be so happy, so satisfied in life. And you know what? I just need a little bit more and then I'd be satisfied. But the reality is that we have more today than almost everyone in history. Just over a century ago, the wealthiest man in the world was John D. Rockefeller. At the height of his wealth, inflation adjusted, in 1913, he would have had the equivalent of $400 billion. $400 billion. He owned Standard Oil. And I know oil is not a big business today, but just to give you an idea of the companies that came out of his, you know, out of Standard Oil, Chevron came out of Standard Oil. Texaco, ConocoPhillips came out of Standard Oil. BP bought a part of Standard Oil. All of these oil companies, for the most part, came out of this one oil company. Imagine one person owning all the oil companies in the world when the biggest companies in the world were oil companies. I mean, that's the kind of wealth that he had. But compared to John D. Rockefeller, we have more than him. I mean, just to give you an idea, a few years later, the sitting U.S. president, Calvin Coolidge, had a teenage son who was 16 years old who played tennis on the White House grounds. He got a blister on his foot. That blister got infected, and he died. I mean, for us, that's unfathomable, right? But they didn't have antibiotics like we do today. 
You get a blister, you get a little bit of sickness, you go to the doctor, they give you some medicine, and you're whole. You're fine. You're great. Compared to Rockefeller, we have so much. How many of you have flown on an airplane? You know, all of us, you know, most of us, you know. We've flown across the country, flown across the world. Johnny Rockefeller, when he was a 400 billionaire, couldn't get on an airplane because they didn't have airplanes that you could fly on in 1913. He would have had a home that had air conditioning, but if he wanted to travel across the country, he would have had to gotten on a train that had no air conditioning. Imagine traveling through the summer in a railroad car for three days with no air conditioning. He didn't have the radio, he didn't have television, he didn't have smartphones, he didn't have Wi-Fi, he didn't have cars that he could just get in and drive around, and when he did, they often broke down, and he couldn't tell his friend that he was trying to meet that he was gonna be late, because he didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have any of these things. Even the best medical care, dental care, was nothing compared to what we have today. You know, a lot of people, if you were to ask them, how much money would you need to be happy? If you were to ask the average person, how much more is enough? How much do you think they would say? What about you? If someone were to ask you, how much more money would you need to be happy? The average person is about two to three times more money than they have right now. The reason why we know this is because somebody researched this and asked people who were actually quite wealthy, millionaires. He asked thousands of millionaires, how happy are you on a scale of one to 10? And then he asked the question, how much more money would you need to make that number a 10? So you would ask a millionaire, how happy are you right now? Oh, I'm pretty happy, I'm a seven. All right, good. How much more money would you need to be 10 level happy? And the average number was two to three times no matter how much money they had right then. You ask the person who has a $1 million, how much more money do you need to be like a 10 level happy? They would say two to $3 million. If I had two to $3 million, then I would be level 10 happy. Then he would go to people who had $3 million and ask them, how much more money would you need to be level 10 happy? Two to three times more, eight or $9 million. And then he would go to eight or $9 millionaire, you know, people with eight or $9 million. How much more money would you need to be level 10 happy? Oh, just two to three more times. If I could just get a little bit more, then I would be happy. Until you get to billionaires. And then billionaires, you can't ask a billionaire, how much more money do you need to be happy? Because billionaires know that question is ridiculous. If you have a billion dollars, you have enough money, right? Even billionaires acknowledge that. I mean, you might have a million dollars and be like, you know what, I could use a little bit more. You might have $10 million and think, you know what, I might need a little bit more, I could have a little bit more. If you have a billion dollars, everybody knows 
You don't need any more. You got plenty. <laughs> you got enough. If you're not happy with a billion dollars, no amount of money is going to make you happy. What? You need $10 billion to be happy? You need $100 billion? You need a trillion dollars? Of course, the question is ridiculous. But every single person that they asked said, you know what? I, just a little bit more. The feeling is, of course, you know what? If I could just have a little bit more, I would be happy, is a false statement. Because Solomon had it all. He had all of the profits, the extras, the above what everybody else had, and still he found life empty. All the gold that he had, what's the point of this? There's only so many thrones that you could build. Only so many shields, only so many cups. What do you do with all the extra gold? Just give it out to people? I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? They found no satisfaction there. Luke chapter 16 describes a rich man who had it all. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Every day was party day for this rich man. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. All of that wealth was vanity, empty. He died with more than just about anybody else, and he found out he made a mistake. He made the biggest mistake of all. That life is not about success. It's not about money. It's not about the respect of your friends. It's not about the popularity that you might have. Life is not about any of those things. Life is about a relationship with God. And without that, life is empty. All the prophets are empty. That's why Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Luxury without God is empty. Labor without God is empty. He says, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he hath taken under the sun? S Solomon inherited the throne. He received a lot of wealth. But it's not like Solomon was a lazy man. He was a hardworking man. He worked hard. He tried his very best. He labored through everything that he did. It's not like Solomon was a trust fund baby that just received everything and had to do nothing. He worked hard, though he inherited a lot. 
The word here for labor implies that he was toiling to the point of exhaustion and yet experienced little or no fulfillment in his work. Psalm chapter 90, verse number 10 says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, your life, the average life is 70 years, but let's say you live to 80. Now we live, you know, even more. You know, the average life here in America is about 80 years old. Many live to 90 and beyond. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Isaiah 55 says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. The Bible says, For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, here at the church, here from the Word of God, what we're seeing is we need to labor for the right things. So many are laboring to build a great career, to be able to buy a nice house, to be able to gain the respect of their friends, to accomplish something in their job and career. And there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having a, a, a goal of, you know, getting a, a new job or uh, going up the ranks. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with having these things. There's nothing wrong with going on a vacation or any of those things. But to think that that's what life is about is missing the point. We ought to labor for things that will last, eternal things. That's why we encourage you, live for God. Live for things that will last beyond this earth. Don't just live for the pleasures of this life. Don't just live to make money. Don't just live to be able to go to that nice restaurant. Don't just live to be able to buy that nice car. Don't just live to be able to follow the latest fashion trends. Don't just live to, to have those things. Live for God. Put that as the center point of your life because that is the thing that matters. God is not something to include as a part of your life on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11. Without God in every part of our lives, those parts that we live without God are vanity. It's empty. It will not matter. It won't last. Now, there are aspects of life, secular life even, that we could use, that could be advantaged for our spiritual sake. You know, little kids, they go to school. And I tell my kids, you do your very best in school because that's what God wants. God doesn't want us to be lazy. God doesn't just want us to take things for granted. Whatever we have, if we can do it, let's go do it. That's what God wants us to do. And we could use things like that. God often uses this economic situation that you have to encourage you to work. Because if you don't work, you don't get money. If you don't have money, you don't eat. So let's get out there and work. And so God wants us to work. God uh, uh, told Adam, before sin, you need to work. So working is a good thing. Work was a thing from God. And we can use all of these things. But the most important thing is, are we living it for God? Or are you doing it for yourself? Doing it for yourself is vanity. Doing it for your money is vanity. Doing it for your friends is vanity. Doing it for your Instagram likes is vanity. 
Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. That's what he concluded. That's why God says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I hate to break it to you, but all that you do outside of God is vain. That's what Solomon discovered. You don't have to find out for yourself. You don't have to spend your whole working life building up this career only to realize at the end that it was empty. You can start right now and point yourself in the right direction and say, everything without God is empty. So I'm not going to do anything without God. Everything that I do is for God. Whether I work, whether I eat, whether I sleep, no matter what I do, I do it acknowledging God, asking God for his guidance, trusting in God, knowing that my labor in the Lord is not in vain. The lesson from this book and the lesson from today's messages, take it from the man who had it all, that having it all was not enough. What he was missing was God.